0: A lot of what goes into finding the one includes some actually quite toxic things um, that On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about what monogamous people and those in monogamous relationships can learn from polyamory. On this podcast, we strive to talk about and represent many different relationship types and how each of them can take best practices from the other. So today, we will be discussing seven ways in which monogamy can learn from polyamory.
2: Seven brides.
0: For seven brothers, yes. Each monogamous to its own. More
2: monogamous than the lies. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes.
1: yeah. That's a. It's you have to be a really good dancer to be on that show. Oh, is that is true? am dance on oh, the yeah. show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so well, you when, have
2: to be a really good dancer to be monogamous. <laughs> Everyone I guess knows so. That, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: absolutely. That's one of the many misconceptions. <laughs> that's, that's thing <laughs> number one. All yeah. Right. Exactly. No. Um, so when we were putting together this episode, I kind of thought it would be interesting to talk about this kind of stuff, just because I've heard from listeners. And from some people talking to me about this, they're like, well, okay, we know now that you're in a monogamous relationship, Emily, do you ever feel like kind of a fraud for being on this like polyamory centric podcast, even though you are monogamous? And to that I say, no, I do not. <laughs> how rude. Yeah. How rude. How rude. So, yeah, how no, rude. How it? no, it's more just that, you know, I, I was polyamorous for a number of years. I think that I still implement a lot of things um, that I learned from being polyamorous into my current dating life or my current relationship. I'm not dating, but yeah, I'm in a relationship. Uh-huh. And I think that that is those things that I learned are incredibly important for any relationship and something to like be aware of and think about. So I definitely... Kind of viewed this episode as more of like a one hundred and one sort of taking it back to people who might be listening to our podcast that maybe are in more traditional relationships that they can you know see things from the polyamorous community in this episode and kind of maybe take that to heart and maybe help them think about like hey I can I can be thinking about my relationship in a slightly different way than I previously had thought.
2: Mm-hmm. I want to jump in with my own caveat. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah so far. Okay Uh, because always my hang up with this, the two of you know this already, but like... We talked about it before. We did. (laughs) I, like, I hate any kind of posturing that attempts to imply the message that, like, people in non-traditional relationships just know more about relationships than monogamous folk. And so we're up here on high on our Mount Olympus, graciously (laughs) giving this knowledge to all you poor, unknowing monogamous folk. Like... I hate that shit. Yeah. Um, that's
1: not at all what's happening. Yeah.
2: Here. Yeah. Um, cause I think that over the course of doing this show, at least where I've landed now is I'm kind of like, honestly, I don't care what kind of relationship you're in. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's monogamous, polyamorous, this format, that format, just do it in a way that's ethical and healthy and bringing joy and not bringing suffering to yourself and to the people that you're with. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's more about that for me, or at least that's the kind of take that I would want to want to bring to this is that what the three of us and many people have learned by dabbling in a wide variety mm-hmm. of non-traditional relationships and how and that might... traditional relationships. Yeah, and traditional yeah. relationships and how that collected experience and wisdom might help um, for maybe some people who haven't yeah. and just kind of want to have a better monogamous relationship.
0: Totally. Yeah, I think though that part of what similar to shows out there that are like, this is what straight people can learn from gay people. Mm -hmm. Something that comes along with, with those and also with non-monogamy or something like that is that the thing that is simultaneously makes those relationships challenging is also kind of a strength. Yeah. And it is a little bit unique. And what I mean by that is that in non-monogamy or in homosexual relationships, There's kind of a lack of as many role models. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of people assuming that that's what you do. You know, they're kind of going to assume your relationship is different than it is. There's not as much sort of like commonplace wisdom out there. And that's often very challenging for people in those relationships to feel not supported or like, who do I look to for role models? Or am I alone? Am I the only one going through this? But on the other hand, I think it is an advantage because it does then require you to figure things out and question things and like really seek out information, which I think, at least for myself as a monogamous person, I didn't do as much Mm -hmm. because it's just like, oh, well, we all have this conventional wisdom and and everyone kind
1: of. It's like an inherent, intrinsic, like thing that's just deep within you that you learn from a very young age. Right. Like, we just the think truth. Yeah, like yeah. we think
0: there's nothing to learn. Yeah, and so I think that's why something like this is really useful, and mm-hmm. that's why you know people like Dan Savage have as big a following as they do, is because like the thing he's always pointing out is like look, we've had to figure out different stuff as gay people yeah. that straight people you just don't even think about. Sure. But hey, maybe this is useful for you. Maybe this will give you some perspective.
2: Yeah, most so, definitely. So the
0: same same kind of thing here.
2: Yeah. Uh, so let's just dive in by talking about the general challenges posed by a monogamous-centric culture. Mm-hmm. And these are challenges that I think are felt By potentially everyone, regardless of whether their relationship is traditional or non traditional. Um, So, you know, there's research out there that shows that people believe that those who are in monogamous relationships or monogamous marriages are inherently more reliable, more happy, and just generally better people than people who are in non-monogamous relationships or who are single. Or
1: who are single, yeah. Yeah.
2: So Mm -hmm. it's like we have this weird thing of putting marriage on a pedestal where we just assume that it's like, oh, well, if you're married, then there must be some kind of... You've won somehow. Yeah, some kind of intrinsically stable or reliable or compassionate part of you versus someone who's single. And I mean, we can call BS on that. You know, there's plenty of people who are stable, reliable, and happy in non-monogamous relationships and also plenty of single people who are stable, reliable, and happy. However, there is still these weird assumptions Mm -hmm. that are socially ingrained.
0: And I think also on the other side, for people who are married or who are in a long-term monogamous relationship... That it's like people might think like, oh, well, you don't have problems then because you've got this figured out or like, you know, so there's also kind of a lack of sympathy for that.
1: Well, and on the relationship escalator too, which we've talked about in previous episodes, that like marriage is kind of one of the higher steps on that escalator. So to get there, you sort of have to like go through the other things and Sort of, you know, get to this final place of like being married and then having children and then doing other things with that person. Right. Just to clarify
0: for people who might not know about the relationship escalator. Yeah. It's basically this idea that you kind of have to follow these linear steps Mm -hmm. and that and that if you're not going up those steps, then you should just break up. Mm -hmm. which for a lot of people who maybe want to be together forever, but maybe don't want to get married or maybe don't want to have kids or maybe don't want to live together. Do want to get married, but don't want to live together stuff Mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. That that those things are not presented as options.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, There's just a lot of inherent benefits given to marriage. And we talk about this when we do our relationship anarchy talk, but the weird way to think about it is that it's like literally monogamous marriage is the state sanctioned relationship. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. it is, you know, it's like how we have like, there's a state flower and there's a state animal (laughs) and there's a state (laughs) motto and there's a state... A state say, bird i was gonna say theme song what's it actually it's not a theme song it's uh, an anthem, anthem? anthem. Or, yeah. there's you a state know. anthem too i think states have anthems really or but 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 i mean okay there's individual states and then there's also the country and the government as the state mm-hmm. and you know we have a national anthem and a national flag and the bald a national eagle bird you know a national bald eagle and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> And it's like our, st- our national, you know, state sanctioned relationship is monogamous marriage. Yeah. That's what we've chosen. Mm. And that's like kind of weird when you actually sit there and think about it. Um, Cause yeah, there's just right. all these protections and tax benefits and benefits that you just don't even think about. Um,
1: it feels very biblical. Yeah, yeah a little there. bit, yeah. a little
2: bit. It's very much wrapped up in property rights and things totally. like that. Um, but I do believe that us, the state rewarding the appearance of monogamy is a very motivating factor for people feeling like they don't have a choice outside mm-hmm. of that. Um even if you wanted to choose to be just long-term monogamous but not get married, it's like there's still this incredible pressure placed on people to still get married because yeah. it's the state-sanctioned relationship. Yeah. I was just thinking the other day randomly about the game of life.
1: You oh, know, you mean Oregon. like the actual game? Yeah. Not, not just like the I
2: probably haven't played it since I was like twelve years old. Okay. I was just thinking back, I was like, huh, it's so funny that there's been multiple generations of kids now where this board game has been very clear. Right. These are the stages of a successful life and you have to, like, getting married, you get rewarded for mm-hmm. buying a much more expensive, nicer house, you get rewarded for having a job with a six-figure income, you get rewarded for being mm-hmm. able to retire at the nice place as opposed to, like, right. the shitty place. place. Yeah. You know, that's how you win, is that it's very much attached to these very specific things, and the more I thought about it, I was like, damn, like, that's such <laughs> a weird, messed-up message to be sending to people. Yeah, yeah especially in this
1: path to uh-huh. yeah, yeah, especially in this day and age, and I, and I do feel as though children now tend to like grow up with a lot more opportunity in terms of like what they're viewing and the kinds of people that they're more exposed to and stuff it just is a little bit different than like our one size fits all box that you know we grew up in or people in past generations grew yeah, up basically in. because of the internet
0: I, you mean? I, like yeah i mean access. sure i was absolutely. just checking
2: if um the game of life has been updated and uh-huh. it has been updated several times. Okay. There's a in 19, what way? 1960s version was the first one. Uh, then it was the seventies and eighties had some versions. Then 91, 2005, 2013 and 2018. The latest wow. update in the 2018 version is that it includes pegs and squares for acquiring pets also. Oh, <laughs> so, great. So that's all. That's so all I you do get. appreciate that. You could choose to acquire <laughs> pets instead of children. Uh, oh, I like um, that.
0: Yeah, I, I do love it. I want to see like, could, could I win the game of life? Being a single person with a ton of pets, with all
2: the cats. In <laughs> the world. Oh
1: my gosh! Yes, it sounds amazing.
0: Uh, all right. Um, okay, so so again, this is before we're actually getting into the seven things, but just kind of exploring these challenges that our current culture presents to all of us, regardless of what type of relationship you have. That these sort of pressures it puts on us, and one of those is this pressure on finding the one, mm. um, and even this belief in the one. And that a lot of what goes into that includes some actually quite toxic things um, that we don't even notice because we're told this is romantic. Yeah. We're told this is magic or we're told that like God intended this for us or, you know, whatever it is that makes us not question it. Yeah. um, Is really problematic. So just to kind of point out a couple of those one is that this pressure for finding the one uh, will often lead us to stay in relationships that are not working, where both of us are very unhappy or even abusive because it's like, well, we were meant to be together or, well, we got married. And if I believe in like the one, if I made that choice, I can't go back on that. Or, you know, because of religious reasons or just cultural reasons, I can't get out of this. It must be something wrong with me. And, you know, people will keep themselves in very harmful situations because of that belief. Another one is this idea that we're taught that if some like if you feel these strong sort of fairy tale feelings for someone, it must be because it's destiny and that must mean that they'll fall in love with you too. Mm. And that if you have that belief, I see this one a lot, actually le- can lead people Men or women, I find this especially with men to, to become be obsessive, to become obsessive, to become stalkers, to become really pushy. If you look at our movies, like a lot of times, behavior that you put a different soundtrack to it is a creepy stalker movie. Yeah, and you put a different soundtrack to it, and it's a romantic comedy, and the only difference is that eventually she falls in love with him at the end. In the one, and in the other, she gets,
2: gets killed. a restraining order or it gets a restraining order <laughs> hey.
0: or, or something, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that it's like. But people are doing this because they've been taught to believe in this thing and have been told it's beautiful and wonderful and romantic. Yeah. When it's actually like, whoa, that's that's a pretty messed up thing to think that just because I feel something strongly, if I believe in this fairy tale, then they have to. So no matter how pushy I am, it's okay because it's really for the best. It's romantic. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is uh, that we talk about sometimes in the relationship anarchy stuff is this idea of our culture really isolates married people. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, once you're married, that should be your only thing. You're kind of, Push toward moving away from a support group with your friends
1: and your family and your family which, you shouldn't be yeah. as close
0: with your family anymore. Um, and this is something that is a pretty uniquely
1: American. American culture
0: thing that you know most other cultures don't feel that way about when you get married, like you still have that support group. Yeah um, And then the last one we have on this list is basically disregarding any type of relationship that's not monogamous or even that's not on a track toward marriage and kids as not being real. Yeah. And that if you're in anything that doesn't fit that, you must be unhappy. Yeah. Right. There's kind of this pressure and these assumptions made. I
2: don't know. I don't know how much in detail you want to talk about this, Jace, but I feel like you've had some issues with that as far as like our relationship
0: being hmm. seen by
2: some family members of yours is not quite as real because we're not married, even though we've been together longer than Many of the married people in your uh, family. Yeah, that's <laughs> true.
0: Yeah, no, that is that is true. And it's not even specific to any one person necessarily, mm-hmm. but, but yeah. It's probably there just is... like
1: an internal belief that they have that like they just don't even question it. It's like, well, you know, it must not be actually that big of a deal. Well, I think
0: it must be not that close because they're not married or they're not moving in that direction. Or that they're not monogamous. It's like, well, they have other partners, so that can't, it can't be serious, Mm -hmm. right? And this is something that, you know, like um, my brother's married and um, my mom just got remarried recently um, and that I've been with Dedeker now um, in, in a serious, but polyamorous relationship for longer than, longer than my mom and her now husband have been dating. Yeah. Uh, you know, they knew each other from high school, but for many, many years, we're out of touch. Like we've known each other longer than that. And that we've been together longer than my brother and his wife, yeah. um, have been together. And yet... There's always the assumption that those relationships are very real, that they should be treated like family, mm. be, you know, that their mm. spouse is like family, should be treated like family, should be included in family photos, things like that. Whereas there's not that assumption about Dedeker um i can imagine so, that's really difficult yeah well, even though it I mean, has I'll been be a honest, relationship like in defense yeah. of your
2: family it's not like your family's ever made me feel unwelcome sure. or right. or like right. not a real person or anything like that i do think it is more of these like weird default things that they probably don't even realize exactly yeah yeah exactly it's, it's not
0: something they're doing to be hurtful uh-huh. it's just where that's all where they go about, right yeah yeah totally yeah. So, and
2: so, <laughs> so it was funny because like When we went to see Paul McCartney, because you bought me tickets to see Paul McCartney as kind of an early anniversary present, you Uh were like texting your family being like, hey, we're at Paul McCartney celebrating our six year anniversary. (laughs) You know, like, hey, by the way, this is how long we've been together. Just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh Yeah. This is the story of the
1: one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.
0: That's why he works behind the scenes
1: All right, well... Let's get into these. So now we want to introduce and go into the seven takeaways from polyamory that monogamous people or people in non traditional relationships, rather, can learn from. So the first one is going to be that relationships ebb and flow and that change in relationships is inevitable. So I think that sometimes in monogamous relationships we feel especially at the beginning and this happens in all relationships like when you have that new relationship energy that excitement you're like this feels amazing it's going so well i'm constantly happy my partner's constantly happy i have to figure out a way in which to like make this into a put this feeling and this relationship into a box and keep it there and like lock it tight and make sure that like it never changes from that because i don't want to like not feel this way
0: right or like if i ever stop feeling this way it means something's wrong yeah it means like the
1: magic is gone and this person must not be the one for me definitely maybe yeah Mm -hmm. but you know reality life lots of things happen also just your hormones and your you know serotonin and dopamine and all of those things like shift when Mm -hmm. relationships occur um and when like the longer that a relationship is involved i think the you know then things will just change it's inevitable
0: it's chemical too absolutely
1: Uh, I do know that a lot of us out there feel like the the potential for change means that maybe there is this potential for something like a loss or like there's a loss of something really important feeling in the relationship. Uh, and that can cause us to experience a great amount of fear. And that mm. fear can cause us to do things like coerce our partner or control our partner rather than just... um allowing them to be the person that they are yeah, or what, you know what kind
0: of like can you give any examples yes, of...
1: what i think about what comes to mind here is that like for example in the beginning of a relationship often like you will have sex with that person over and over again, like mm. many, many times. But, <laughs> right. you know, and and you're super into it and super like DTF all the time. <laughs> it's true uh-huh. though. Yeah, yeah but then, yeah. you know, six months in or a year in or whatever. Or 10 years in. Yeah, or, yeah. or anything that may just not be the case as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And that can cause, you know, uh, feelings of like, that they're I must not be attractive to my partner anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, fuck, like I'm going to do things like get really passive aggressive when they're like, actually, mm. I'm not really interested in having sex right now. or if they, you know, shoot me down, i'm I'm just gonna like stop going to them for sex at all because, you know clearly, I'm just going to be shot down here, or things mm-hmm. like that like right. controlling behaviors, coercive behaviors, stuff along those lines, or passive aggressive behaviors. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I think also um, there's this idea that, like, if a relationship ends, it means that it's somehow failed.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. We- we've talked about that, we've talked a lot about on this. this show. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But that is not necessarily the case. And polyamorous culture teaches us that relationships can change over time and they can transition from one thing into another. Mm-hmm. I know I've had partners who've been upset over the fact that, like, I am friends with some of my exes. And I know, especially in my relationship with you, Jace, like, I was w- at one point in a romantic relationship with you, and now I'm not. And that transitioned out of that romance into something really deep in a friendship. Mm-hmm. And that is also very important to me. And it doesn't mean that like, you know, that's a threatening thing to a partner, but some partners may find that to be a scary, scary thing. Well,
0: and this concept was something that I first learned about from monogamous people, actually, yeah. from from like some some older older, wiser, monogamous Uh people before I was polyamorous of that idea of like a relationship ending doesn't mean it's a failure necessarily, Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of different reasons a relationship could end. Yeah. And, but like, to go back to what you were saying about our relationship, transitioning essentially from, you know, being in a romantic relationship to not, and that like our friends, and families felt this need to be like, oh well, I'm so not going to be, yeah, let's like shun let's her shit about that person, yeah, totally, or, right, totally. And, and on both sides, and and we had to kind of be like, no, 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 like that's not what it's about. Yeah, but they're like, oh, but it is though. Like you'll yeah. get there. Oh yeah, <laughs> but you hate her, right? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah but, like, but we're pissed. We at her, hate right? him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And I think that can be really challenging for you know for monogamous people or, you know, for anyone, anyone, but but like for monogamous people who want to do the same thing, it's like, I guess we at least had the advantage of, we were already doing something different. So maybe people already know to be like, can I be angry? What should Mm -hmm. I be feeling about this? Yeah. But if you're in a more traditional relationship, you might just assume, oh yeah, that means we hate this person. Let's go egg their house or (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness.
2: Yeah. Uh, So let's move on to the next one. Sure. Number Uh, two. Yeah, number two. So autonomy is key. You and your significant other are not entitled to each other's time. This is such a big one. My goodness. You know, when we get into relationships, honestly, regardless of the format, there's all these unspoken rules about Mm -hmm. how much time is supposed to be spent together. You know, but especially when it comes to traditional monogamous relationships, you know, there's often this assumption that, We need to spend most, if not all, of our time together. Uh, You know, if we're romantic, then we're automatically going to take priority over everything and everyone else. Um, uh, Things like a significant other needs to be available to me whenever I want it. They need to be available to me for any kind of couple-y activity. They need to be available to me for sex whenever I want it. Um, There's often a tendency to use the kind of royal we talk instead of individual talk. Um, Yeah.
0: And I don't think that one's always bad, necessarily. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you start to lose your identity, I think it can be. There's a, a balance there.
1: I did read an article that talked about how, you know, that can bring couples closer together to mm-hmm. have, like, we talk rather than just I talk. But it does get into this thing of, like, well, you know, we thought that the movie was so great. <laughs> and it's like, but do you actually know that your partner thought that? Or do you just assume simply because... Well, we're, we're one unit. We think and talk and do the same things all the time. You know,
0: that's a really great example. Yeah. Of, of of an, like, so I've, I've also read some studies like from the Gottman saying that people who use we to talk about themselves and their partner are more likely to be happier and stay together Mm -hmm. than people who tend to use just Uh, I all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that makes sense if it's like, I'm always saying I, cause like, I don't really want to associate with this person or I don't want to be associated with them, sure. even if it's more subtle than that. But the thing about talking about like thoughts or feelings or like, well, we feel this or we think this mm. is a little different from saying like, oh, we, you know, we, we like, you know, we do this thing together yeah. or we enjoy this activity is a little different from oh we thought this about the movie or yeah. we believe this. And maybe here's a proposal for like a slight change. Mm. Um, And it's something like uh, say we did go watch a movie together and I'm talking now to someone else to say like, um, oh yeah, we, we went and saw that movie uh, and we liked it. We talked about it afterward and I kind of thought this thing and she mentioned this thing. It's like maintaining a little bit of a sense of like, we're still, we still have our own thoughts. We still have our own feelings. But we're still a we because we talk about it, because we communicate it, and we did stuff together, and it's important to us to communicate. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Like it's I guess, a subtle difference. I guess I would also argue like that one could say, yeah, we went and saw this movie together, and like I really liked it. I can't speak for her about mm-hmm. this, but yeah, I loved it. Like, What did you think about it kind of thing? And yeah. then allow that person to talk as well.
2: Yeah. So I do feel that engaging in some kind of non-traditional relationship, it can teach us that, you know, our partner's stuff is their own stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially, Uh that their emotions, their thoughts, their feelings, they don't have to equal our own. They usually don't equal our, our own. And just having that allows for there to be greater communication and greater listening skills and greater motivation for understanding, I think, or reaching mutual understanding. Um, also that we can't necessarily dictate our partner's actions. And also that we're not entitled to our partner's time or their body. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a, it's, that's a doozy. Ooh, yeah. It really
1: is. It's but a doozy. It, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I, I think it's something to to be aware of and something that polyamory can, can teach us and definitely taught me that yeah. I I probably had a lot of ideas about the time in which, like, it, it means I'm special if my partner is spending this time with me. It means mm. I'm special if they want to do everything with me. But that also potentially means, like, that they're not doing things for themselves, and that right. they're, you know, automatically going to watch a movie with me, rather than, like, hey, I'd really like to watch this TV show that I know you don't like, or play this video game that I know n- you're not into. Like, right. I understand you're home, and probably maybe want to spend time with me, but... I want to make time for myself and moments as well and, and I think, to advocate for that. Which yeah. And it's coming up, but yes, it
0: actually opens up the ability to make your time together more intentional and more special yeah. instead of it just yeah. always being a default. And we just like watch a TV show together and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, let's plan the time that we're really going to be intentionally together Versus when we have our free time to do things and maybe some of that's together and maybe some of it's separate. It actually makes that time more special Mm -hmm. rather than I think people are afraid like, oh, that's going to take away and we won't be as close. Absolutely. You know, Um, I I also heard once just related to this, the idea that um, getting to watch your partner do the things that they do that don't involve you is probably the stuff that they did when you fell in love with them in the first place. Mm. And getting to watch them like do that, that thing lot. is really cool. Yeah, I yeah. really like that. Um, okay, number three. All right, number three is that rules don't protect relationships. This is a big one. This is one that a lot of people question about polyamory, being like, oh, well, okay, as long as we understand the rules, or when people first open up their relationship. They, they think implement like, a lot of rules. Yeah, you know, we just need to figure out what the right rules are. Tell us what the right rules are that we need to put in place. And that's something that comes up. There's a couple things about this in monogamy. One is that we assume that we all play by the same rules, but in truth, you New. ask, you ask, uh, you know, a hundred people, what exactly cheating is. For example, you're going to get a hundred slightly different answers of like exactly where that line is. Yeah what sorts of things are okay or are not, right? So that's, with monogamy, there's this extra problem that we assume we all know the same rules. But then the second thing is, you know, people question like, oh, well, if your partner is allowed to be with other people, why would they stay with you? Yeah. And it's this interesting question of like, so are you saying that the only reason why your husband stays with you is because they can't do anything else cuz they don't have a choice. And and then usually people are right away like, well, "No, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about." <laughs> You're like, "Then what are you talking about?" Well, I think that that I mean that definitely was part of my thinking.
2: Oh, 100% part of my thinking. And it was actually something that caused a lot of fear in my monogamous relationships mm. was that where I'm like, "I'm afraid my partner really wants to be with someone else or is really attracted to someone else, but feels obligated to uphold our relationship because that's like the commitment that they made. And while on the one hand I'm like, well, I guess I'm glad that he's honoring his commitment on the other hand. I'm like, it doesn't sound exciting. It doesn't sound like it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great on my side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think also putting a lot of rules in place. And this is also something that, you know, it's like, I have rules about, how much time you can spend doing other things, not with me. Like this can get very extreme, right? Very, very controlling that it's like two things, like having rules for your partner or even for yourself, I guess, implies that if your partner could do whatever they wanted, they would not care about you. They would do things to hurt you intentionally uh, and that they would be dishonest and like all this sort of stuff. And it's kind of weird when you think about it that way where it's like okay you know we think oh the rules are to protect us but it's like protect you from who yeah mm. protect you from what is your partner the thing you need protection from? In that case, maybe we should rethink this whole being in a relationship with this person.
1: Yeah, it it is that mentality of like an us versus them thing, or that the almost two... an us versus
0: each other. Yeah,
1: well, exactly. Like us, but m- meaning us, meaning myself versus <laughs> my see, partner, I rather. See. Yeah. Yeah, but just that they don't have this, you know, this idea that your partner has your best interest at heart. That they're not right. automatically going to be uh, an enemy to you in some way. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And we make our partners out to be enemies in our head
0: sometimes. I definitely have, yeah. Or, yeah. or at least someone who, yeah, kind of needs to be reined in or needs to be controlled. Totally,
1: yeah. That they're this wild thing and that they would do whatever they wanted if we don't implement these like very rigid rules into our life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that I think that that we make these rules out of fear, yeah. but that they don't actually solve the problem that made us fear that they just kind of create this other like boundary, uh, like, or not even a boundary. I shouldn't say that because that word kind of means a different thing. Um, but like they put up this wall or some kind of restraint or maybe give us a thing so that we can be more clearly angry about a thing. If it gets broken mm-hmm. rather than addressing like, this fear comes from that a fact that I don't trust my partner is a, is a big thing to deal with, but is an important thing to address rather than I'm just going to put rules in place mm-hmm. to try to rein in this deeper fact that I don't trust my partner
1: yeah. or that I
0: don't think my partner cares about my feelings or that I don't think my partner would be nice to me if they didn't have to be. Yeah. And so I think that's definitely an opportunity to, to look at that and examine that. Um, Sonia Stone who is a leader in the polyamorous community has a great quote about this. And that's that monogamy cannot be a substitute for actually knowing what your own personal boundaries are and the negotiations that have to happen to define rules that are fair to each partner and are also realistic and relevant.
1: Yeah. I liked that a lot.
2: Yeah. I I feel like any time a relationship format is the coping mechanism that Mm. seems to be a red flag for me. And I feel like people can do it in any number of formats. You Mm. know, people can choose monogamy as a coping mechanism for jealousy or for insecurity. People can choose hierarchy as the coping mechanism for also insecurity and jealousy. People can choose non-monogamy or relationship anarchy as a coping mechanism for whatever other stuff that they want to avoid. And so I think it's that thing is that it's like that. I think with this quote that like, there's basically no excuse for not knowing your own, personal boundaries and values in relationships.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the next one, something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, and that is that real communication is necessary for healthy relationships. So with that, we need to not assume that our partners just always will know everything <laughs> about us, that they automatically like know what we enjoy, what we don't enjoy, Because our partners are not mind readers. They can't just always infer if they're going to be like angering you or triggering you. They can't just, you know, deduce that from the air (laughs) as it were. But I I do think that a lot of us out there just think like, well, if they love me, then they know who I am and they know what I like and they know what I don't like and they know what's gonna be what's gonna piss me off and what's not. And Mm -hmm. healthy communication is something that polyamorous people have to get really good at because they're navigating so many different relationships mm-hmm. and so many different types of people and different types of emotional, you know, contextual and biases and all of those things. And so I think that they get really good at uh, learning how to navigate many different potential things that are hard in relationships.
0: Right. But doing that through actual direct real communication communication. yes rather than just having expecting some magical fairy tale world where your partner just can guess everything you're feeling
2: yeah well so i think on the show before we've talked about this idea of like relationship as culture maybe i've gone off about this before i don't Uh remember but (laughs) please tell us us again when you're in a relationship you create like a little micro culture Mm, right Mm. a culture around How do we communicate? How do we repair after a fight? How do we appreciate each other? How do we handle chores? How do we handle sex? Stuff like that. And over time, these become things that need less, maybe less explicit communication after they've been negotiated. And maybe they need to be revisited occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once you start dating someone else, it's like, oh, a new culture.
1: I need to do this again. I need to do this
2: again. I can't just assume that this person comes from the same culture as I do. And it is... Or
1: as our past partner did yes and that's the
2: thing is that also like this applies on a macro level with actual cultures not just like micro relationship cultures is that cultures and countries that have historically been much more homogenized as in there's not been a lot of multiculturalism there's not been a lot of clashes of culture typically Mm tend to communicate in ways that are much less direct because they can get away with it. Like Japan. Like Japan, like many places. They move as
1: one amoeba (laughs) there. I don't don't
2: know about that. Well, no, (laughs) it's
1: just I had never seen anything like it before I went to Japan. Just like the people everyone knew to like, you know, you if you're going down the escalator and you're standing, you go on one side versus the other if you're walking. And just the level of like polite understanding for everyone Mm -hmm. was so impressive there. Right.
2: And of course, there's always going to be individual differences. But it's the kind of thing where, you know, countries that have been much more homogenized have have not necessarily had to be super direct in communication because we're all in the same in-group and we all get the gist, you Mm -hmm. know, versus Mm -hmm. countries that historically have had a lot more influx of different cultures tend to communicate much more explicitly and directly because of that, of like, oh, we're not necessarily on the same page about... Who goes where, what's the order of things, Mm -hmm. how we deal with X, Y, Z. So we need to be much more explicit in that. And I think it's the same thing that happens uh, with people who are in non-traditional relationships or dating multiple partners is that we can't assume that everyone functions the same exact way. And we have to make these negotiations over and over again.
1: Yeah. And we also have to ask for what we want in relationships, and we have to tell our partners if something is triggering or challenging to us. I think there is this idea that, like, it's way more romantic to (laughs) just have your partner, you know, do things for you without you having to ask for them. But I would argue that it's actually romantic to be able to have the vulnerability to tell your partner what you need and want. Mm, Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I know in relationships, I tend to often like think about the negatives or remember the negatives. And those are the automatic triggers that may come up rather than like celebrating the positives. So we Mm. want to encourage you in your communication to not only relay the times (laughs) that are challenging, but also to talk about the amazing things that you're happy about in your relationship yeah. And celebrate the positives, celebrate like when you're both moving forward within the relationship and when you're like getting over, you know, a a trigger that has, or not necessarily a trigger, but like a thing that keeps happening. And you're like, hey, we did that better this time. We didn't fight in a way that was really challenging for the two of us.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. celebrate those victories. Correct. Yeah. yeah.
2: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
0: We we won't go into it in this episode, but we do really recommend checking out our Relationship Radar, yeah. um, which is specifically a way for doing a regular check-in in your relationship that allows you to share those exciting good things that happened, as well as address things that you want to change or, you know, issues that have come up over the past month or just making plans for the exciting stuff that you're going to do coming up or just figuring out logistics. And it's been super helpful um, for a lot of people in their relationships to just have a a, a structure yeah. for doing that communicating. So I definitely, definitely has for all of us. Yeah. Oh, it's changed my life for sure. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend checking out Relationship Radar.
2: Let's move on to number five, which is it's okay to advocate for yourself and to set boundaries. So I think it's easy for many of us to become people pleasers within the context of a relationship. Oh, boy, yeah. Um, (laughs) I know for me, particularly in the context of a new relationship, I tend to get really scared that, like, somehow I'm going to scare this person off. Yeah, I I do
1: think that that's so interesting, like, to be when you're in the beginning of a relationship, Mm -hmm. you tend to, like, try to, like, put your best foot forward. But then that also, like you shave off parts of yourself that might be more unflattering to that person yes. and don't like put the entire thing forward.
2: Well, I think I like to think that I've gotten better at this, mm-hmm. but I have a long history of when getting into a new relationship, really putting this pressure on myself to really fit the mold of what this person wants yeah. or what, what this what pers- think, what I think yeah, that they're Those are two to. separate things. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or what I think they're impressed by, you know, um, and so that's something that can happen at the beginning of a relationship. For some of us, that's also something that happens throughout the relationship. Sometimes we sacrifice something that we really want or need or would really make us happy for the good of the relationship. And sometimes those sacrifices are okay, you know, sometimes it is okay to make sacrifices for a relationship, but then sometimes provide, they're yeah. really not okay, you know. And I think that we've been socially trained to favor a little bit too much on the side of self-sacrificing for a relationship and a little bit less on the side of advocating for yourself and your wants and your boundaries. I think it's connected to that
0: kind of mythology of the one Yeah. that it's like, well, if for whatever reason I've decided this is the one, then like, well, I have to sacrifice those things rather than continuing to kind of question and look at like, can I, will I actually be happy with this rather than just assuming, well, I have to end up happy with this because they're the one. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's related to boundaries also, you know, that it is still important to have boundaries to protect ourselves from possible infractions. And it's like at the end of the day, like you are the person who's going to defend yourself the best. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes in the context of a relationship, we can think like, well, it's my partner's responsibility to defend me or take care of my feelings or stuff like that. And yes, like your partner I think should be considerate and should be aware. And there should be an open channel of communication about that still at the end of the day, like boundaries are the things that you apply to yourself to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Related to that is also advocating for the type of relationship you want to have and exactly what kind of relationship you want to look like. Um, And I think that's hard because we have all these narratives around selfishness when it comes to advocating for your needs. I think disproportionately women tend to feel selfish and guilty for upholding boundaries. Um, They're more likely to have that boundary hangover. And I think that makes things a little bit
0: difficult.
1: Um, I definitely was called selfish when I became polyamorous
0: initially. Mm. Yeah. 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 And just for reference, we have a whole episode about the basics of boundaries that I would say would be another kind of fundamental one. I would recommend if, if this is a little bit like, wait, what do you mean exactly by that? Um, And that that one is episode 178. It's called The Basics of Boundaries. Mm -hmm.
2: One
1: of our more popular ones.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: And I think related to the stuff we were talking about as far as being entitled to a person's time or a person's body, um, it's also up to you to advocate to make sure that you're getting adequate time for yourself, not only to take care of yourself, but also to achieve your goals as well, you know it can be really easy to get caught up in just wanting to make other people happy instead of also asking what actually makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a study that was done in 2017 that found that monogamous couples are more likely to sacrifice their own needs For the sake of their relationship, while polyamorous couples tend to put their own personal fulfillment first. And it's so interesting. interesting, Yeah, because I can definitely see this being the headline of like polyamorous people are selfish bitches. (laughs) Um, And monogamous people are like self sacrificing saints. Um, But, uh, you can put a different spin on that though. Yeah. Yeah. I I see the different spin on it being that it's like, I don't know, I think that's not a bad thing to be advocating for what makes you happy first. You know, it's kind of like put your own mask on first before assisting others is (laughs) the way that I think about it personally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would also throw out there that, um, that there's like, imagine on the other side of it too, that You know, you're with a partner who's been self-sacrificing for the sake of your relationship. And maybe on the one hand, you could think from a selfish standpoint, ironically, oh, that's great. They're self-sacrificing. So I get more of what I want. Mm -hmm. But if this is someone that you love and someone you do care about, how awful would it be to 20, 30 years from now to learn that they've been unhappy because they haven't been getting something they wanted because they felt like they needed to sacrifice for you. Yeah. So not only them potentially being unhappy, but I know for me personally, even on a shorter time scale, learning as a relationship is ending that there was this thing that that my partner really was upset didn't about like about yeah. our house or about the way things were decorated or about something they didn't get to do that they never told me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, shit, like, I, I wish we could have done that thing. I wish you hadn't just self-sacrificed there and, and pushed back and been like, no, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And so like being on the other side of that sucks too. So yeah. this, I, I would actually argue that, that, that like for both parties, self-sacrificing for the sake of the relationship is not helpful mm-hmm. and not ultimately good, unless your partner doesn't really love you and they are selfish, and then maybe we have a different problem. <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms. Uh-huh, definitely. Uh, and then number six. Jealousy is often a sign that internal work needs to take place. This is this is the number one question if someone's polyamorous. But what,
1: jealousy? But what about what jealousy? jealousy? How do you yeah. deal with
0: jealousy? And this is something that... Basically, if you're gonna be non-monogamous, if you're gonna be polyamorous, you have to examine that, right? It's that's why everyone asks you that question. They ask you about jealousy. So it's something that right from the start we're kind of confronted with. How do you handle this? How do you deal with this? Um and I found that that jealousy is like can be a very powerful thing for your own self-growth, mm-hmm. um, and can also be a great indicator of things that are going on in your relationship, but there's a subtle difference here. And it's basically this idea that we're taught that jealousy equals love. And that if you really love someone, you also have to be really jealous. And by jealous, we really mean possessive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be very possessive that that no one else can have this thing or look at this thing or, or, or even want this thing, right. That there's kind of a, a controllingness that comes with it. And it like gets tied to a fear in ourselves. So then if I do feel jealousy, because we associate it with love, I'm then any sort of negative action I take because of my jealousy is justified. It's okay. Maybe it's even romantic. And I think that non-monogamy and polyamory like immediately challenges that for people. But I think that there's... I was actually having a really good conversation with my partner, Caitlin, about this the other day. And she put it basically that she's like being polyamorous. She's like, I still experience jealousy sometimes about my partner's time or about other people in their life. Maybe I'm jealous of this thing or I'm jealous of that amount of time they have or I'm jealous they got to do this thing or I'm jealous of, you know, how attractive I think they are. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, I can be jealous of things but that jealousy isn't tied to feeling like I own my partner. Yeah. And it's like that distinction between like, cause I get jealous sometimes. Dedeker gets jealous sometimes. Mm-hmm. Emily gets jealous sometimes. Like She's like, man, maybe not.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. It, the difference is that it's, it's about the jealousy is often about you and not about them. Right. I think yeah. nine times out of 10, it's, it's really just about you. Because, yeah, I saw a girl that I... um, A woman, rather, that I go uh, do, like, Comic-Con and stuff with for Mm -hmm. Nintendo. She wrote something regarding um, her partner and said, like, I I really feel like if I see women talking to my partner, then automatically I'm going to think something bad about them. Or I'm going to, like, you know, they need to really show that they're not going after my partner. Hmm. And she got a lot of backlash about that because... The, and I think rightfully so, because it's like, wait a minute, what's happening with you that you just automatically see a woman talking to your partner and think like, that means that my partner is going to go off with them or that how the is... woman wants to do something with them? or And what? how is
2: this other woman supposed to signal that she's not doing exactly right. yeah, What's yeah. The clear signal
1: that's a great question i have no idea <laughs> a, i don't think there could be yeah mike exactly pence. yeah is it a
2: stance is it a look is it a? I have no idea <laughs> is it a, we're gonna keep six feet in between us exactly right. yeah
1: like i'm not going to ride in an elevator because i'm mike pence and i you know gosh, don't want anyone to think that
0: gosh, i'm gosh, doing gosh, anything with gosh. this lady you know right. stuff like that yeah so like this idea that if if loving someone means that them being happy and having a fulfilled life is important to you. Like you do care about them and want them to be happy. A controlling type of jealousy is actually the opposite of that. So I would challenge that idea and say that that type of very controlling jealousy where you want to limit another person's freedom yeah, uh, is the opposite of love actually, that that's not love. Um, what is it, it then? That it's, it's, Control. Fear, it's control, yeah. it's mm-hmm. coercion, it's it's can even can even become abuse. Yeah. Um, but that it's not love, that it's in no way related to love. And I think emotion is a valid uh, or I'm sorry, that jealousy is a valid emotion. Mm. That like we said, we we all feel it sometimes, but it's just an emotion you feel, it's not a justification for controlling another person or wanting to limit them from something that might make them happy. And so, even if you're in a monogamous relationship, you're in it because your partner also wants to be in that monogamous relationship, not because you're not letting them. Yeah, be with not anyone because else, they're not like because you're controlling them. They're
1: stuck and they're constantly like out there looking for other people or maybe right.
0: interested in other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a study done that was published in Time Magazine, and it says if you think that having multiple romantic partners would elicit more jealousy than being in a monogamous relationship. Uh, You're wrong. (laughs) According to a 2017 study published in Perspectives on Psychological Science, that's not necessarily the case. The study, which surveyed over 1500 people in monogamous relationships and over 600 people in consensually non-monogamous relationships, found that the people in the consensually non-monogamous relationships, including polyamory, swinging, various Mm -hmm. types, scored lower on jealousy and higher on trust than those in monogamous relationships.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like, it reminds me of that whole, like, if you love someone, let them go. Yeah. That idea of like, I trust you because I know you're with me because you choose to be, and not because I've got you held so tight. You don't have a choice. And then lastly, um, also on the other side, don't, don't weaponize this.
2: Yeah. Cause I think that's one of the primary criticisms of a lot of the non monogamy advice is that someone can then turn around. And if their partner has legitimate concerns or has insecurities or jealousy that come up, it can, it can generate this kind of very careless take on it of like, well, that's just your own problem or mm. that's just your own personal work to work on or like you got to go to therapy or whatever. Right. And maybe there's maybe part of that's true, but part of it is also like maybe they're just seeking comfort from you or there's something that needs to be talked about or is that there is something that needs to be fixed or repaired or something like that. Um, So with the whole, you know, jealousy being a sign that internal work needs to take place, that's probably true. But don't throw that in your partner's face when they're jealous, because I 100% guarantee it's not going to go over well. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah. So I was reading this awesome article called The Science of Soulmates. And there is a Marist poll that said that 73% of Americans believe in soulmates. That that's is, a huge that's so number. High. That's
2: a lot of people. I don't know
1: if that's really like in all of America, but according to this poll, 73%. So, okay. More men than women believe that they are destined to find the one. Not surprised by that at all.
2: What? Okay. Okay. I really want to question that, and not not as in to question that it's accurate. I can but I'm, send
1: you the
0: article. No, 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 it's no. Right here.
2: No, let me finish. Just not that I want to question that it's accurate. More that I want to question why is that? Why it's do you think romantic. that is? So it's well,
0: in every movie and every book, exactly because we're beaten tale. over the head with it since day one. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, do you think it's related to? I mean, I've heard this theory come up in talking about media and how you know heterosexual relationships are portrayed in the media, but that there's maybe a little bit more of this messaging toward men from our movies and TV shows mm. that it's like you have a right to end up with the woman at the totally, end. Totally, Well, it's and like I was saying, I think that's... Like you're entitled to find that soulmate yeah, at the end that's, of the day. I think
0: that's sort of the byproduct of this, okay. this romantic idea of the one. Yeah, yeah. isn't
1: that like in incel culture and stuff like that? I, I'm not uh, sure. I Red don't pill know if yeah.
2: necessarily all about soulmates, but yeah. well not that, but just yeah. like I'm entitled
0: to entitlement. Sure. X, yeah. Y- Z, yeah. yeah.
1: So,
2: okay. Okay. So more women,
1: more men than women believe they're just destined slight, to find
0: their one. Just slightly though. Yeah. 74% to 71. So still super high on super both high. Yeah.
1: 70, 70- Nine percent of people younger than forty-five believe in soulmates, while only sixty-nine percent of those over forty-five do. But that's still a ton. That's still still insane. Yeah. Yeah.
2: If you want to know more of the breakdown on that, because the Marist poll actually has like a more specific breakdown, Mm -hmm. um, that people in the West are less likely to believe that they're soulmates.
0: In the West, meaning Western states, Western states States of the United States. Okay. Oh, Uh Are less likely to believe in soulmates. Yeah.
2: College graduates are less likely only a little bit like it drops down to for instance like like in the western united states it's like 63 percent of people said yes they believe in soulmates as opposed to like the 78 or whatever in the south um uh yeah stuff like that yeah
0: interesting
1: a lot well fascinating stuff so all right science shows that people who believe in soulmates or the one are more likely to break up give up, or have more difficult relationships. Now, that's interesting. And that's we,
0: very interesting. Yeah. I also was hearing a little while ago, and I'm, I'm sorry I didn't look this up before this episode, but also similarly a study about um, people, uh, Christians who wait till marriage mm. to have sex are mm. also more likely to... Be <laughs> um, like, nah, to, like more likely to get divorced or break up or like have marital problems or things like that. So it's, and that's also tied to that idea of the one, right? It's yeah. like, well, you have to save yourself because there's, there's only one, one out there. going to send you right. the right person. Yeah, and, you know, yeah.
1: Is that how it, it goes? That was literally
2: how it was pitched to yep. me. It's like, you need to wait until God sends you the man that's going to be your husband because he has a plan.
0: But regardless of whether this is based in Christianity or (laughs) not, regardless of whether it's based in Christianity or not, like this mythology of the one though is related. Yeah. And it also seems to cause more problems than it, than it solves. Yeah.
2: This is anecdotal. That's my caveat. But what I've noticed among friends of mine, because for a period of time I was like working with these people in this particular dance company where a lot mm. of the people who worked at this dance company watched a lot of TV shows <laughs> okay.
0: Huh. okay, and
2: like watched a lot of the OC and watched a lot of like modern soap opera-esque oh, God, like the romance. OC. I was
1: like, what? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah romance
2: focused like, TV shows. Yeah. Gossip and girl. A lot of their ideas around how relationships should be were based in those things, mm-hmm. you know, where she'd be like, well, I want to be like this TV couple. And someone will always be like, I want to have a boyfriend like this TV couple, you know, and pretty consistently, all their relationships were very, very dramatic. Oh, um, I'm sure. Yeah. Obviously, know, had yeah. a lot of, lot, a lot, a lot of issues, a lot of tumultuous relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's anecdotal, but I could totally see the problem there of like, if you're looking to these very, um, heightened and hyper-dramatized versions of relationships and versions of people being so passionate and connected to each other that that doesn't necessarily translate to real life. And it puts these like very, very high stakes pressure on particular people in relationships. Yeah. Regarding this
1: soulmate thing, I just wanted to say one other thing that researcher Raymond Nee and his colleagues, they were interested in trying to figure out if there were like people who... Uh, believed that there is one person meant for just you or not. And obviously, it looks like, yeah, 79% of people do, which is a lot. But there are people who have things that are either a destiny belief or a growth belief. So a destiny belief is that soulmate-type belief that I'm destined to be with one specific person. I have a soulmate. I have one person who's meant for me. And then a growth belief are relationships Progress slowly and we grow to fit together. Relationships take effort. You can build love. So mm. going back to this whole thing of, uh, you know, challenging your beliefs about the one, I think consensual non-monogamy does go more along those like growth beliefs in addition to feeling like I can have many different ones. I can have many different soulmates in my life. And it doesn't necessarily just have to mean like, that person is out there always, and that's it, and I have to go looking for them for the rest of my life. Yeah.
2: Well, so I, I'm looking also at this Science of Soulmates yeah. article, and I want to piggyback off of what, how mm-hmm. you were explaining the destiny beliefs versus the growth beliefs. I think this is really interesting that they point out that the kind of questions that people who believe in soulmates ask themselves yeah. are things like, is this the person can I do better than I this know, person? I know, that's so funny. Like, mm-hmm. is this the best that I can do? Or is is this the one? Is this it?
1: Somebody, the one person who's ever proposed to me in my life was like, I think you're the best that I can get. Oh, so boy. Wow. <laughs> That was in their um, proposal. I was like, wow. But yeah. this is no. in
2: counterpoint to people with growth beliefs who ask themselves different questions like, are we a good fit? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. can I be a better partner? How can we get closer? Or what can I do to make this better? love and that. It, I know. So much it's so fascinating. <laughs> and, I, and I think even if you're applying that to a monogamous relationship, that seems like such a better take. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. To bring
1: to it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think it's ironic that this belief in the one can, on the one hand, lead people to stay in a bad relationship that's making both of you unhappy for a long time. Or
1: cause to lead, bounce
0: around can lead yeah can lead people to constantly bail on relationships totally. cuz it's like well as soon as i'm interested in someone else that must mean they weren't the one
1: exactly or
0: as soon as things aren't fairytale perfect all the time it must mean they're not the one i better keep looking
1: and that's kind of like in a in the adultery culture like mentality of like well you know i was in love with my wife for a number of years we had kids however I am, you know, so incredibly passionate about this new person. I'm gonna leave my wife and be with them because they must actually be the one that I'm interested in or mm-hmm. that
0: I am allowed to be with yeah, or should be yeah. with. Um so that's our list of these seven things. Yeah. Um this was a fun episode, kind of getting to kind of go kind of across it's a big wash all these of different things. things. Yeah. yeah. Just delve a little into all of them. We also recommended a few specific episodes if you want to dive deeper into some of these. Definitely recommend checking that out. And we're going to do some bonus content for people who are in our Patreon group. Um, and our bonus content, we're going to talk a little bit about what polyamorous people can learn from monogamous relationships. So if you want to check that out, you can become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash multiamory. We would also love to hear from you. Do you think there's anything we missed? Like, what's maybe the best thing that you've learned from polyamory that you think applies to monogamy? Or is there something you've learned in monogamy that you feel like has changed the way you do relationships that we didn't cover here? We would love to hear about that. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com/multiamory. In addition, you could share publicly on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. You can email us at info@multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678MULTI05 or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook multi is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jay Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on MultiAmory.com.